Welcome to I'm Fighting in Thailand, the best news and analysis covering the economics and infrastructure of Muay Thai. I'm Matt Lucas, journalist, commentator, and ex-Muay Thai fighter. Make stronger fighters, make stronger f- people. Today we will be talking to Angela Chang as part of our series on Muay Thai Gram. As always, if you'd like to reach me, you can follow me on Instagram, Matt Lucas Muay Thai, or email me at amattlucas at gmail.com. I also have my website, www.matt-lucas.com. Thanks to all the people that have supported me so far, sharing the podcast, leaving reviews. If you'd like to leave a review, that would be super helpful. You can do so on the iTunes store. Um, Also want to give my book a plug. Uh, I'm fighting in Thailand, a guide to the sport in the motherland. The clear guide goes over scoring, matchmaking, picking a gym, fight styles, gambling, and more. It also includes a series of interviews with long-term expat fighters, including Michael Savas, Willie Whipple, Lisa Brealey, and Angela Chang, our guest today. The book helps educate and guide careers by saving fighters from costly mistakes. Thanks as you can pick up your copy off of Amazon. Just type in I'm fighting in Thailand and it will come up. So it can be shipped directly to you. Thanks, as always, to my sponsors, Nakamoy Legends, for their continued support of the show. They create some great Muay Thai apparel with portions of the proceeds going back to the legends they celebrate. All the superstars have been paid for their images as well. You can check out their gear at www.nakamoylegends.com. Use On Fighting to get 15% off your order. Thanks, as always, to Patrick Rivera for helping me get this show started as well. So a little bit of background on Angela. This is more of an overview of uh, the American fighter. I first met Angela at Sitsong Pinong about five year, four years ago, five years ago, uh, not too far along into my stay here. Um, it's I've been out here five and a half years. She's been out here about four so I met her at Sitsong Pinong, didn't really pay attention because most people come and go. Then I was working on an article on female fighters and I contacted her, took some photos of her for the article and we started to become friends. We've had a bunch of projects that we've worked on together and it's been great seeing her career evolve. She's really blossoming and pushing herself in terms of her fight career and her other skill sets and talents as well. So I'm very excited to present this interview with Angela Chang. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. How are you doing, Angela? Uh, Thanks for having me again. Um, I'm doing good. Oh, this this is the second time you've been on the podcast, right? This is this is so, for on fighting. Yeah, uh huh. Uh, my second or third time now. Because you did the one with Trisha last year. Mm-hmm. And then I think I did another one before that. Really? Yeah. I can't remember. Hmm. Mm. There was one with COVID. Oh right, right. That was a pretty short one. Yeah. Um. So this one is obviously about you. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us how you got started in Muay Thai and you know, give us the backstory. Uh, so I was always into martial arts as a kid. Uh, not that I practiced or anything, but just because I watched a lot of the old uh, action movies of my dad growing up, like with Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee, John claude Van Damme. So I grew up uh, just really wanting to learn some sort of martial arts, but then I wasn't allowed to because my parents were pretty strict with the gender norms. They said that, oh, girls don't do that stuff. So they put me in piano, but uh, <laughs> but then when I was uh, studying uh, as a freshman or sophomore, I was working part-time and there was a gym nearby that had like a Groupon deal going on. So then I started to take classes there. Um, it just so happened it was a, the instructors there, uh, they were Muay Thai fighters. So what I was learning was Muay Thai and not just like kickboxing or like fitness kickboxing it was actual Muay Thai and then uh, a few months training uh, I was really really hooked into it Um, just really want to get better 
And then from there, I decided, uh, oh, if I want to keep getting better, I should start competing. And then that's when I went over to Seton, which is where the instors uh, trained out of. So was it Joel or who were the first two uh, It was Rudy, Felix, and Omar Estevez. Okay. And then they, uh, Omar is still with Seton, correct? Yeah, they, so they were both still with Seton. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so it was a small little gym they were doing, like, side workout? Uh, it was a MMA BJJ gym that had, like, a kickboxing program, and they were they just were the instructors there. And then you had about four fights in the States, right? Four yeah, I had four fights. amateur fights over two and a half years in the States. Oh, so not that many. Not that many, And yeah. not that frequently. Not, th- not frequently at all. <laughs> yeah. Why, why was that? Was it because you were busy in school? Because you studied psychology, correct? Yeah, so I had my uh, first two fights while I was still in school. And then I took uh, about a year off from training just from some personal issues I was going through. And then I went back to training and back to fighting uh, a couple, like a year and a half after my second fight. And then that same year, I had two fights. And at the end of the year, I did my first trip to Thailand. And how many trips to Thailand have you had? Uh, I just had one. And I... One very long one? No, it was just (laughs) that it was my first trip was three weeks. And then I came back to... I went back to New York. And then three weeks after that, that's when I moved out here. Oh, okay. Then after your first trip, or during your first trip, you went to Sitong Pinong. Um, Did you fight during that first three-week trip? Yeah, so I was at Sitong Pinong for a total of three weeks. And then I was training there for not even, I think, two weeks. And then I got set set up with a fight, which... To me at the time was unheard of because I was like, "What a two week fight camp!" This like that's pretty good actually. I mean, it's pretty good. Like now that I'm thinking about it, but yeah. like you know, coming from like an amateur westerner's perspective, you always think that oh, I need like at least a month to train for a fight, and then you come to Thailand like just training tr- twice a day, and then all of a sudden they're they're sending you up with fights. And then it's just such a not not a big deal to anyone. And then for me, I was just making it such a big deal. Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with perspective and experience. Yeah, for sure. And then also sort of understanding levels and all that sort of stuff. Um, can you talk a little bit more about starting off at Sitan and what training in America was like for you? Uh, so training in America, I trained at Sitan with Aziz. So the different, the main differences, uh, training in America versus training in Thailand is that in Thailand you have a lot more trainers at the gym. So every day you get to hit pads because of the amount of trainers that are, are available. Whereas in America there's maybe only one or two trainers. So then uh, the students have to hold pads for each other and do drills together and spar together. Like you, you're not necessarily hitting pads with a trainer every single day. Um, which isn't necessarily you know better or worse it's just different um i would say intensity wise training in america it's more intense because you're trying to uh compact all, all the stuff in training into one session so i'm talking about the you know the running the the pad work the sparring the clinching all into one session whereas in thailand it's like you have two separate sessions a day to kind of spread those out Mm-hmm. And do you think all the pad work is necessary to build a fighter? Uh, I think it is necessary, especially in the beginning, because pad work, it helps uh, it helps you develop your technique and it helps you develop your range, your timing, your power. So it's really important, uh, especially for beginners, to really test what they currently have in terms of skill. And then uh, speeding up a little, you so you came out for three weeks... You fell in love with Thailand. Mm-hmm. What was uh, something that you liked a lot about the country? Uh, I really liked the weather. I really liked the food. And I really liked uh, just how kind the locals were. Like, even though I couldn't speak the language at the time, you could tell that they really wanted to help you, even though they, didn't really, they weren't sure how to help you and they didn't know how to speak English. They were just really kind-hearted. Not like uh, New York. Yeah, not like New York. The, the Queen's yeah, <laughs> We just don't give a crap about anyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you move over here um, and you stayed at Sitong Pinong for four years. Correct. Um, so can that's a long time, obviously. Can you talk about, you know, the different years that you were here? Um, 
yeah, mainly talk about being at the gym long term. Because most foreigners, if they come out, they don't stay at a gym that long. Mm -hmm. You know, if someone's at a gym for six months, that's a long time. I feel like most foreigners tend to bounce around a lot. Right. So I actually was only originally, I originally planned to stay in the country for six months and then go back home. But then at, when the six months was coming to an end, I just felt like it wasn't enough time. So I just kept extending my stay because I just felt like there's still so much more to learn. And I just felt like I was still getting better, still getting better. I was like, oh, this can't be it. Because I knew that once I get, got back home, um, that progress, I would still progress, but then like the progress wouldn't be at the same rate. Because in Thailand, all I was doing, all I'm doing now is, is training and fighting, training and fighting. I don't have to worry about working a full-time job. I don't really have to worry about anything else. So the fact that I could just concentrate on Muay Thai, my progress since I've gotten here, it's just the rate has just been like, you know, tremendous. So um, I just kept extending my stay because I just really felt like I was progressing really quick. Um, in terms of why I sticked at the gym for so long, um, it was because of that. Because I just felt like I was really growing as a fighter. I was improving. I saw a lot of improvements in my performance, my power, my skill level. So that's why I stuck with the gym. So because I'm, you know, I believe like if it's not broken, don't you don't need to go looking for another gym <laughs> for yeah, no reason. Yeah, for sure. Um, what was it like, say, during the first year versus, you know, the second and third year? So the first year, I definitely think it was uh, the most interesting year because it was the year of figuring out a lot of stuff. Uh, I had to learn the language by myself. I had to learn the area by myself. Uh, I met a lot of people from a lot of different countries. Uh, I had to get used to the, the training, the heat, uh, how to eat right, how to take care of myself, how to cut weight in Thailand. And uh, just that first year just had so many good memories, a few bad memories, but just like, it was just really, really memorable. And then compared to the second years, the second year was like, that's really when I feel like everything started settling in, in terms of fighting. Like, okay, now you've been here for a year. Uh, all right, now the wheels are turning. Now you can, uh, the momentum is going. So then like, as long as, as long as I kept training and fighting, training, and fighting, I just felt like things were moving along more mm -hmm. and more smoothly. And most of your fights were, or you had a fair amount of fights in Isan and then some in Bangkok as well. Correct. correct. Uh, so then especially my first year, year and a half, I had a fair amount of fights in Isan and then, uh, but most of them were in Bangkok. Mm -hmm. Where where in Bangkok, like Asia Teak or uh, like Asia Teak, uh, 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 the WPMF shows. Uh, what what shows were those? The WPMF shows were like the Queen's Cup, the uh -huh. King's Cup. Oh okay. Yeah. Um, what I feel like not enough foreigners get any experience of fighting in Isan mm -hmm. and fighting in the countryside. Can you talk about that and what that's like? Uh, so my first experience fighting in Isan, it was in Chayapum, and the promoter was actually Jongsinan's older sister. So we went over to his hometown in Chayapum. Uh, you know, they received in us. Nong Budang, right? Nong Budang? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when we got over to the venue, it was, uh, it was like a temple kind of fair. There was like a bunch of buildings. We got our hands wrapped in a building, and then we went outside. We had to lie down in the dirt. We got tie oiled in the dirt. There were so many people. It was it was really loud. Uh, so many people in attendance. And when you get in the ring, it's like it's a combination of the noise from the gamblers, the announcer with the microphone, the the you know the Muay Thai music during the rounds, all the screaming. You're you're trying to hear your corners and the. The ring itself is also like a makeshift ring. Like it's not even canvas. It's like they put ca cardboard, uh, some wooden planks, and just threw like carpet on top of all of it. So there was just like pooling of water in random places, and you had to like make sure you didn't like slip and slide everywhere. Uh, there were bugs everywhere, but it, this is just this is just like the real experience of like what real Muay Thai is. You know what I mean? There's just no uh, pomp and circumstance about it. It's this is just fighting fighting um and this is uh, i guess what they call the grassroots of muay thai yeah it's definitely where a lot of the fighters come from um i i always think it's a little dangerous to say like oh this is real muay thai versus like 
you know, something else is in, not real. But definitely a lot of people come through that sort of environment, especially, obviously, Thai fighters. Um, I remember going out to Nong Budang once, and um, I went to a, a festival, and the announcers were like, hey, everyone, there's a white person here. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. Yeah, I went with... Uh, I was with other... uh, Johnson on Sister. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I went with two other foreigners and they treated us like we were celebrities. Like everyone <laughs> wants to take pictures with us because like... I mean, I'm Asian, so I guess I was the least like, you know, token person. But then, you know, Joel, he's Latino. And then the the Australian chick we went with, she was like really tall and white. So then everyone was like, oh, photo, photo, photo. <laughs> Um, where else in Isan have you fought? And uh, Chaipum is quite far from... Chaipum was is far. Like it six was six hours, yeah. seven hours. Oh, I also... Like, that fight too, I think we were five hours away and I realized like I forgot my mouthpiece. And then in a moment was like, oh, don't worry. When I was little, we didn't have mouthpieces. We just ripped off a piece of our shoe and put it in our mouths and used that as a mouthpiece. And he said it so many times where I thought he was going to be serious about cutting off a piece of his shoe and making me like put it in my mouth. And then I begged and begged and begged. And I was like, please, you have to go home. <laughs> you have to bring me to the store and let me buy a mouthpiece. I don't want your shoe in my mouth. <laughs> uh, that was quite an experience. Um, so uh, other places in Ibsan that I fought at, I fought in Chaipum two times. I fought in Sakyao one time in Manawan's hometown. Fought, wait, wait, where is Sakyao? Sakyao is, is uh, very east. Like almost by Uban or uh, it's Uban, near the It's near the border of like Cambodia. Mm -hmm. uh, I fought in Korat like four times. Uh -huh. yeah. uh, I mean, and the, you're driving to all these places, right? Yeah, Mulnet drove to all those places. So... Seven hours in the car, basically. Sometimes seven hours, eight hours. Yeah, yeah. to fight, mm -hmm. you know, for like a thousand baht. Um, how much were you getting paid? Um, for the Chai Poon fights, we didn't really get that much money. But then we, you know, Molnit did his side bets and stuff. So he made some money off of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he made money. Yeah, he made money. I didn't make money, but he made money. <laughs> did um, he uh, make you guys pay for gas? Uh, he made us give him 500 baht for gas, which I thought was fair. Yeah, that's yeah. totally fair. Yeah. I mean, it might even cost more than that to go out there in terms yeah. of, like, a car. Because mm -hmm. I know driving from Bangkok to Pattaya costs about 500 baht. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but there's also tolls and stuff. I'm not sure there's as many tolls going not to Not as many tolls, but it's definitely a journey. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about your fights in Bangkok? Um, mainly like sort of your earlier career. Uh, so I fought in Asia Teak a lot and I've, yeah, so I fought in Asia Teak a lot, uh, my first six, seven months here. And then I slowly graduated to, uh, the weigh-in shows that are still low level. So like Ambassador Hotel, and then there were some shows, uh, promoted by um the same promoter from asia teak because he he also managed uh, a lot of the female fighters that fought out of uh, krum donbury university so he always did a lot of like all female fights um so i slowly graduated from those and then i started fighting on the wpm wpmf shows and so those fights they're they're definitely more organized than the isan fights uh they're you know you have to weigh in and in Thailand, there's not really like a weight allowance. Like in in America, it they give you like plus minus a pound, um, and they don't care if you're under, but they definitely care if you're over. But in Thailand, it's like you have to be on the dot. Like you can't be 100 grams or 200 grams over. You have to be on the dot with, when it comes to weight. Um, sometimes with these shows, you know, they want to do like press conferences and photos and stuff like that, but. At the end of the day, I feel like it's still not of a big of as a deal as they make it out to be in America. One of the good things about weigh-ins out here is that they generally last an hour. Yeah. So then a lot of times, even if they want to do like a press thing with the weigh-ins, they let the fighters weigh in first and they record the weights and then they let the fighters rehydrate. And then if they want to do some like live stream or televised thing, it would be after the fighters have already eaten and rehydrated. 
which is obviously a much better setup than a lot of times in America. Correct. So who were some of the notable people that you fought in your early career? Did you keep a list? Or, you didn't keep a list, did you? Um, I kept a list of my wins and my losses, and I took photos of the fight posters. So I have their names saved somewhere, but um, most of the people that I fought early on, they weren't notable. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them were like high school students or university students that you know, studied and trained part-times. Uh, I I trained full-time, so usually I was in better shape than they were, even if they were more experienced. Um, but uh, I, I would say my second year, that's when I started fighting people who were more notable. So um, the first person I fought that had a bit of a name, her her name was Nong Song. And I fought her on TV. Uh, she was the first Southpaw that I fought, and we fought to a draw on TV. And then uh, later that year, I fought, I fought Wonder Girl, mm. and and then I won. I won that fight, and that was at the King's Cup. Mm. And then uh, at the end of that same year, I fought Pempinja, who was one of the top fighters at uh, fifty-two kilos. She doesn't fight anymore, but at that time, she was one of the top fighters. And then I won against her. Um, and this was a fight in Korat. It was, but it was a televised fight for Ladies Fight Thailand. So my second year here, that's when I started fighting the higher level people. Mm-hmm. And do you feel that you were able to win because of your conditioning? Because you mentioned that, oh, you trained twice a day, so you were generally in better shape. Or was there a variety of factors that helped you out? I think it was a variety of factors, but my conditioning definitely played a huge role in it. Um not to take anything away from them they were really experienced and really technical but of course if you want to go technique with technique with someone who has like two to three to five times the amount of experience that you do you're not going to win so sometimes you just have to win with brute force or just like smother them with whatever it is with clinching or just like a barrage of combinations or just come forward and make them get tired Mm -hmm. and do you feel like the why are they weren't as conditioned as you um i trained really hard uh at Tsitsong you know i mean i still train really hard now but i just remember like getting killed on the pads and and then going to the fight and just knowing like oh like you know whatever happens here i know i'm not going to get tired because of the way i trained mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so um yeah, so my conditioning and my training and all the running that I put in, it definitely had a lot to do with it. And then, so after your four years at Sitsong Pinong were up, um, you recently moved over to PK Sanchai earlier this year. Correct. Um, why did you make that move and what is being at PK like? Uh, I made the move because I didn't have a lot of training partners left at Sitsong Pinong, which was really important to me. Uh, so then I made the move to PK Senchai after my friend invited me to go over there. Um, I have, uh, I found there, there to be a lot more people for me to train with. And I started training full time again after lockdown ended in uh, July. So I started training full time at PK starting in July. And you've had three fights out of there? Uh, yes. So, uh, what is it like? How is the training different? Can you just talk a little bit more about your experience with PK? Uh, so, the, the training is different compared to Sichuan Pinong in that um, in the mornings, we don't hit pads. It's, at Sichuan Pinong, we hit pads or spar in the morning. And at PK, it's, it's running and then you lift weights. Um, so, it's not like Muay Thai training in the mornings. It's, just, it's more conditioning at PK. Whereas uh, at Sitong Hinong, it was running and then you have to train Muay Thai of some sort. So that I, feel, I feel like uh, training at Sitong Hinong, the morning session was def- definitely felt more exhausting because after a run, you had to hit pads. It was just like, it's, it's, it takes a lot of you out of your body. Um, and then at PK, uh, there's more flexibility in terms of what time you show up to the afternoon session. Like you can show up anytime from two o'clock to five thirty. Like you can drop in literally any time from that time frame. Um so 
you can take more rest if you need to or if you want to come in earlier that day and just get your pad work done you could get you could do that as well at uh they had a very strict uh time table of a schedule so we start training exactly at 2 p.m and we knew uh around the estimated time when uh, training was going to end what why are the different gyms structured that way do you think um i think mostly because pk is such a big gym like there are 40 thai fighters around 40 thai fighters at that gym whereas uh Tsutong Pinong, i think uh when they had the most amount of thai fighters uh it wasn't more than 10 or 12. so when you have like 40 fighters there's no way that you can have all of them come in at the same time to hit pads uh, that's that would be chaotic um so it just would make sense for them to come in waves or have them come in at different times so uh, having that flexibility is really important uh, for a bigger gym. And with that sort of larger, looser structure, is there things that sort of fall through the crack, or is it pretty good the way they take care of everything? You know, I feel like if it's a looser structure, the onus might need to be on the fighters to make sure that they're doing the other things as well. So then speaking from my own experience, there are definitely some pros and cons about it. Uh, a pro that I found is that uh, I feel a lot less pressure to um, stick to a certain type of training regimen because I'm someone who can self-regulate and, and I have self-discipline to do everything that I need to do. So I know that I don't need someone to like watch over me like a hawk because that's a lot of pressure. Even even if I know that, oh, I'm going to get it done. Um, and a, But a con to having like a looser kind of uh, regimen is that, you know, if, if you're not one of the roster fighters, then there's no one to keep you accountable if you don't clinch, if you don't spar, if you don't do your sit-ups, if you don't do your conditioning. You know, you could just... If you if if you're if you call yourself a fighter, you can technically just go in and hit pads and then don't do your sit-ups, don't spar, don't clinch, and leave. And uh, maybe none of the trainers will say something about it. So. So like me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do think that you know it's good, especially for foreigners, to have that structure in the beginning, and then later, I think you know a lot of people. If they've made it through like a year or two of being out here, they can self-regulate. But a lot of times earlier fighters and some personalities as well, they just need that structure a bit more. Yeah, I agree. I think having like a really strict, really old school way of training, um, it's really beneficial to people in the beginning just to teach them what discipline, hard work and uh, like and just just so they know what they're made out of and and they know that they can stick to those kind of things and so obviously you switched um you've basically had three trainers in your career aziz early on at sitan then moonlit for four years mm -hmm. and now pot guy um what is working with the different guys like um so aziz is someone who takes whatever you've got and he works with you he doesn't try to put you in any kind of category or trying to mold you in any way. He just, he takes your strengths and your weaknesses and he works with what you've got. Mullen is someone who like, he wants you to be a certain way. He wants you to be a certain style. So he breaks you down. He breaks everyone down the same way, teaches everyone the same way. Wants everyone to have, you know, this the perfect technique. He's a perfectionist and he, you know, he does everything like power, technique, power, technique, power, technique. Uh, when it comes to training with Bajai, uh, he does a lot more combinations. His um, his power work is a lot more fast paced. Um, with him, I definitely feel like I'm a lot faster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and you've had the three fights with him, the two matches with uh, Nang Hong, and then the fight the last night with uh, Dang Kong Fa. Um, so, what sort of improvements or changes have you seen besides? being faster um i definitely feel more comfortable in the ring i feel like i'm a lot more confident uh, some some of that has to do with um my my increased speed now because before a lot of the complaints that i got for a moment was that um oh you're too slow or oh, you think too much before you do stuff but now that um i'm not 
or there's not as much of a delay between thinking and doing um, and the fact that I'm, I'm just doing things and I'm reacting a lot faster I feel like it's making me a lot more confident and I also feel a lot stronger um, and on top of all of it I'm also walking a little bit lighter so I'm not cutting as much weight and I feel like that's um, less stress on me as well before how much weight were you cutting uh, anywhere from three to five kilos Oh, five kilos is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Especially for someone your size. Um, you walk around at 54 kilos right now. Mm -hmm. About um, before, were you walking heavier? or? I was walking anywhere from 56 to 58. Yeah, 58 is pretty big. Mm -hmm. And then cutting five kilos is a lot. Yeah. Um, I feel like most women just cut like two to three kilos at most, right? Yeah. Um, I feel like mo men will cut a little more, but it doesn't really go that much mm. higher. I don't know. I think, you know, if you cut more than two to three kilos, it can impact your performance. Um, so you've switched from sort of fighting in the countryside and the smaller shows to doing more entertainment shows uh, like Moy Hardcore and Super Champ. Can you talk about what that experience is like? So at the moment, um, for a couple of reasons, uh, these are the best options being a female fighter in Thailand now. Before Super Champ, they didn't put on women on their, they didn't put women on their shows at all, or maybe just once in a blue moon. But now they're regularly putting women on every single week. And recently they started putting two women on it, two bouts, two female bouts on every single show. And uh, now it's not just Super Champ, but there's the Moy Hardcore show that's every Saturday as well. So uh, the Channel 8 shows right now, uh, if you're a female fighter in Thailand, they're the best option that we have in terms of getting exposure and getting experience. Because all the other avenues for female fighters, they're not really open mm -hmm. at the moment. Um, fighting for those pro these promotions, um, you know... They run pretty smoothly. Uh, they tell you what to do. They tell you, you know, what time to be at a certain place, and everything goes according to plan. You know, there's a there's a rehearsal for when you go to the ring, what you're supposed to do, where to stand in front of the camera, what to do in front of the camera, uh, what to do after you get in the ring, how to exit the ring. Um, so you know, it's it's a very it's a very organized affair because it's on TV. And. How have the matchups been? How many fights have you had on the televised shows now? Like six, seven? I think I've had a total of five now. Five. How are the matchups not only for you, but would you say in general for the women? Uh, I think the matchups for the women, they have all been pretty fair. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for, for most of them, they've been pretty fair. Uh, and... I feel like a lot of the women fights are really, really exciting as well. They um, really give them give it their all. Yeah, I do think that the female fights are pretty well matched up mm -hmm. for the most part. The male fights can be a bit yeah, hit, they can hit, be a hit, hit or miss. Or miss. Um, you know, the sometimes they're good fights, sometimes they're a bit of mismatches. Um, so, what are some of your goals in being out here? I know you plan to stay out here for some time still. Um, yeah, so I would love to win a few belts uh, before I decide to hang up my gloves. I have my eyes on the WBC title, um, either national or world. I would love to fight in one championship. Um, I feel like that's just right, right around the corner for me. Um, I would love to win some titles like WMC, uh, WPMF. I actually fought for a dummy PMF title a couple years ago, but I lost via decision. So who who did you fight? I fought Namwan. Uh, no, no, no. Her name's not Namwan. Uh, you can't remember. It's actually Tanun Chai's sister. Oh. Luke Nam. Oh, okay. Luke Nam, yeah, but that fight was at like fifty four kilos. It was too heavy. For oh me. yeah, that's quite big. Yeah. I mean, you should fight at like 52 or so. Or lower, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I guess changing directions a little bit and talking a little bit more about your career and, you know, staying out here long term isn't easy, but you've managed it. I think some of the ways you've managed it is 
through work stuff. Um, so you spent a year and a half working for Muay Thai Pros, which had a was a gear company um, that was quite active. Stephen Kong founded it. Can you talk about what you did with them and what you sort of learned with that experience? So I started off uh, working for Muay Thai Pros by just doing some photography work for them. But then Stephen offered me a social media marketing job. Um, so what I did was... I ran the social media page, the Instagram page for MTP Fight Gear, and I was also uh, in charge of taking care of the um, the athletes that were sponsored by the brand. Uh, it was definitely a big learning experience. I had social media experience already um, from doing social media for uh, Sazon Kinong, uh, but doing social media for a brand and trying to hustle gear was uh it was different it was a different uh it was it's the same crowd as the the camp crowd but it's you have to do things differently because everyone's trying to sell something but not everyone's trying to buy something so i learned a lot um i learned a lot about what you should be doing on social media i learned a lot about um the, the amount of time you should be putting into things of what you should do what you shouldn't do um i also learned a lot about um what it takes to to build relationships with certain athletes and what's worth keeping in those relationships and what's not mm -hmm. so i guess touching on one of your points i definitely want to touch on a couple of them uh, the athletes and then also what were some of the specific things you learned about how to act on social media? So when you are uh, doing social media for a business, first you have to be very professional. Uh, you can't forget that whatever it is that whatever opinions that you may have about a certain person or certain idea, you have to make sure that whatever you express on behalf of the brand or the company, it has to also reflect what they think as well. Um, you can't take your personal aggressions out on a fighter that you don't like. <laughs> and just like, did you ever do that? No, no, I never did it. But you know, it's, it's, this is not something that I learned because I messed up, but this is just something to be very, very aware of because when you have that power in your hands, sometimes I've seen things just go wrong, but I, but then, uh, do, do you have an example of when something went wrong? Uh, I see some, I just see some like media, like Muay Thai media or some athletes just talk shit about yeah. other people. And I just feel like sometimes it's very unprofessional and very unnecessary. Um, that sort of reminds me one time I posted about Eddie Abasolo. This was quite some time ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a pretty normal profile and someone said something on the post that was like, oh, he's not that good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, in general, I would say Eddie Abasolo is not that good because there's like a ton of fighters. But the way I phrased it made it sound more negative. Mm -hmm. And then a bunch of people got on the thread and it was like a really old photo of him, too. Mm -hmm. but it started like popping up right. um, and it sort of taught me a valuable lesson about how like I talk about people and how I frame things and then also like the you know the things you say have a lot of impact yeah I agree with that um, especially when you do social media a lot or you're a presence mm -hmm. um, so you know I definitely understand where you're coming from on that can you talk a little bit about the relationship with the athletes that mm -hmm. you had to build? So then uh, I had to find some athletes that were interested uh, in working with MTV. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. One sec. I, I'm not saying Eddie, Eddie is bad either, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of fighters. Yeah. And the chance that any one individual is going to be amazing is very, very low. Yeah. So it's saying, personal to it. Yeah, yeah. It's not like saying someone is not good or is not like amazing is not an insult. Mm -hmm. It's probably the truth. Yeah. 
Okay, sorry. Okay. I just wanted to, uh, you know, <laughs> clarify. clarify it <laughs> yeah. and not make the same mistake twice. Um, so can you talk about the athletes again? Yeah, so then uh, it was my job to reach out to certain athletes to see if they wanted to work with MTV Fight Gear. So then um, one of the athletes that I actually uh, saw some promise in was Smilla. Mm-hmm. So then Smilla was one of the first athletes that I uh, reached out to. I saw that she worked really hard um, when she was training in uh, Koh Samui. Um, and she, you know she worked really hard she was young she showed a lot of promise so I was working with Smilla for a little bit I sent her some stuff and she was making a lot of posts for us so then this is a relationship you know the the, the brand helps the athlete and the athlete helps the brand mm. it's a it's a relationship and it should go both ways and uh, you know and as with all relationships uh, both people should benefit from it um, so then I managed a team of athletes and I made sure that they all got what they needed in terms of gear and that they were happy with the way that they were being taken care of and stuff and if they had any issues they would just tell me and then i'll try to resolve them i think uh one of the things that people misunderstand about sponsorship is that it's a business relationship correct and i think some of it has to do with the way it's talked about Mm -hmm. like sponsorship is like oh you have a patron Mm -hmm. who just gives you stuff right uh but that is not true and that is not what actually happens, and that is not what the, especially a gear company, is mm-hmm. going to expect. It's a business relationship. Right. Um, so I think that's a really good point. What are some of, maybe some of the other things you've learned from Muay Thai Pros, and how has it influenced some of your other projects like Muay Ying? Um... I've learned a, I've learned quite a lot from working with MTP Fight Gear. Um, I just I can't really put my finger on anything specific right now, but uh, a lot of what I learned from it, in terms of running the social media, it definitely carried over with how I ran the social media um, for my own athlete page and for how I ran the page for Moying. Um, so one would be a one would be um, making my presence more known on the platforms. So not just posting, but also uh, interacting and trying to make my posts engaging and uh, connecting with people in the community. Because anyone could just put up a photo or video and just put a bunch of hashtags and just leave it at that. But then who? Are you, but you have to think about who are you trying to reach with this? Who do you really want to speak to with this post? So those are things that are really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's a lot of community building. Correct. Um, so can you talk a little bit about Mu Ying and what you're trying to do with it? Mm-hmm. So I started Mu Ying uh, over four years ago. Uh, Aziz actually gave me the idea about it because um, most Muay Thai news media outlets, they don't really cover anything um, when it comes to female fighters. They just cover the men or the stadium fighters. Even... The news here in, in Thailand, there's so many good female fighters, um, especially after I came out here and, I was, and then I realized just how many good Thai female fighters there were here that I've never heard of ever. I was just blown away. I was like, wait, she's a world champion. She fights all the time. But all I hear about are all these guys, like, like her name needs to be known. So then, you know, a lot of it also um, had to had to do with like what I believe um, in terms of like equality and and uh, what people uh, that people deserve to be known if they work hard Mm -hmm. and I feel like a lot of the female fighters that I've seen fight here and that I've heard of uh, fight here, especially the first year I got here, um, they definitely deserved, uh, you know, news to be reported on them that wasn't being reported on. So that's why I started moying. So I started moying just, just giving out those, you know, just reporting news on them, just saying, oh, so and so fought so and so, and this person won, and then I put up a picture, and then from there I just I started writing articles, uh, sometimes videos. Um, I took a little break from it because it was getting discouraging um, just to do everything myself and also not uh, getting any money from it. But then recently I got like a newfound uh, 
motivation to do it again and I I uh, put up a patreon for it um, which I have quite a lot of supporters in <clears throat> and uh, I started writing regularly again especially during lockdown and um, I'm posting news regularly on the female fighters mm -hmm. um, so can you talk a little bit about doing some of your writing stuff and what experience you have okay so I do a lot of freelance writing uh, I would say that I started off my freelance writing uh, with MuayThaiGuy.com. Uh, I did a lot of writing uh, for Sean, and that's really where I started building up my writing resume. And then from there, I started uh, doing other types of writing work for Muayying and uh, Infight Style. And I also do some copywriting work for, for like different subjects. Mm -hmm. Like I did some copywriting work for uh, my friend who wanted to do some SEO stuff on vacuum cleaners. <laughs> and uh, I'm currently writing for a company called uh, Oak Theory who, and they do a lot of uh, branding work and social media work and website design. Um, and I've been writing weekly articles for them. So yeah. It's good. So switching gears a little bit, um, you're sponsored by a couple of people. Can you talk about the sponsorships or the business relationships? Maybe it might be a better term uh, for you. Okay. So as an athlete, um, the only sponsorship I have as an athlete would be with Muay Thai Gram. So Muay Thai Gram, uh, they help me get other sponsorships and also uh, you, Matt, you help uh, to help manage uh, certain things for me. Like you have my fighter profile, which you help me create um, uh, on top of some other things. And uh, for my blog Muying, one of my major sponsors is Golden Era Muay Thai Apparel. Uh, and that helps me a lot with just being able to really follow the female Muay Thai scene and being able to um, keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah, I do think that, you know, especially companies like Golden Era, Muay Thai Apparel are doing a good thing when they're, you know, giving money back into the sport. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of money in the West, um, you know, it doesn't take that much money from the West to bring a lot of life into fights and a scene out here in Thailand. Um, you know, like $100, $200 a month can go quite far out here and really build a, a project. Um, so I think that's a good thing. So I guess wrapping things up, is there stuff that you wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about? No, I think we covered uh, a lot of stuff. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show again, Angela. Maybe you will be on it again in the future. Yeah, Who I, knows? Probably, I probably will. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you. So that concludes the interview with Angela. I think she's a really interesting person. Coming out here and staying long term is not easy. Angela did it the right and hard way. Had a lot of fights out in Isan, which is not easy. Just the long drives, the conditions are not good. Then also the pay is not good, of course. As always, the pay for female fighters is lower, so it makes it a lot more difficult economically and materially for female fighters to continue to fight. That said, they do have some advantages, especially with social media. It's a bit easier for women to market themselves, but it does come with a little bit of a price or a little bit of some barriers as well. Uh, more people tend to try and shoot them down um, and more people sort of um, have problems with their credibility, which is really unfortunate, I think, you know, needs to change. That said, it is still a very, very good time to be a female fighter, both in America and out here in Thailand. There's a lot of entertainment shows that are happening and the power of the internet cannot be denied. There's a lot of opportunities opening up for female fighters. So I'm very excited for Angela and her career, see where she goes with Muay Ying, her career, and also her sponsorship with Muay Thai Gram.
So as always, this has been I'm Fighting in Thailand, the best news and analysis covering the economics and infrastructure of Muay Thai. I'm Matt Lucas, journalist, commentator, and ex-Muay Thai fighter. Make stronger fighters, make stronger people.